As we move into the fall in the Northern Hemisphere, this month for many is a time of gratitude. I was traveling with a fellow speaker and as we walked down the street in Austin, Texas, in a moment of reflection, he said, Chuck, as, as much as we travel and with all that we see, we have so much to be thankful for. He's right. So as we begin this month's VOE program, allow me to express my gratitude for all who shared their wisdom and for all who will listen, learn, and take action. As we begin, allow me to share with you this quote from Marianne Williamson. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that frightens us most. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightening about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine, as children do. It's not just in some of us, it's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. I am grateful for NSA and the light that we all share. And now, November's Voices of Experience. Hi, this is Chuck Gallagher with my co-host, Meredith Oliver. Welcome back to Voices of Experience. Hi, this is Chuck Gallagher with Voices of Experience, and I'm really honored today to have as my guest Steve Gilliland. Steve is a CSP and a member of the Speaker Hall of Fame, and I also will say a dear friend. Steve, thank you for being on VOE. Well, thanks, Chuck. Thanks for asking me. So I've got a couple of questions today. Um, I know your career fairly well. I know that you, uh, you have the uh, uh, dubious distinction of being able to go into sessions at Influence that I can't get into. That's the million dollar sessions. So yeah, I I'm just aspiring to that at some point. But I'd like to ask you the question, and that is if Steve Gilliland today could look back at Steve Gilliland when he started his career, what advice would you give to young Steve? The advice I would give probably centers around, and it's a sports adage, when you hear people interviewed, especially coaches, and they'll say, you know, this week we focused on not letting the noise affect us. And I think early in my career, I let a lot of noise affect me. And what I mean by that is, I let a lot of things that other people said and things that were very impressionable to me really steer me in a, in a really big way. So what I'm saying is, if I was talking to the younger version of me, I would say, do your homework. Don't just take things at face value. Don't just say, gee, that sounds like a great idea. Let's dive in. And, and the reason why I'm saying that is there were a lot of things, and of course today we have social media, you know, when all of a sudden all of these things hit, uh, there was a lot of noise and there were a lot of people talking and there were a lot of people that said this is what you should do, this is what you shouldn't do. Thankfully, when a lot of these things come our way today, that's one of the things is I look at all the noise and I do my own homework, a due diligence, if you will, to say, 
let me do a little investigating. Let me see how this fits. And Chuck, you, you've known me for a long time. Even when it comes to marketing, I look and see what the outside world is doing in marketing. I look at what a different industry is doing in marketing, and I see how that translates to what could be done in this industry. So I, I think sometimes I made decisions a little bit too quickly, and I made them based on what I would say a limited amount of information and a lot of noise. I, when I finish a program, immediately send an email to the person who has hired me. And, and it's, it's not a thank you, it's a, it is, the, the subject is quick question. Now if I send Chuck Gallagher an email that says quick question, and I make it a quick question, you're gonna go, oh, that's from Steve, he's got a quick question. And I simply ask them, are you a member of, and if it was an association, I'll say, in addition to XYZ association, are you affiliated with any other national, state, or regional associations? If so, I would love you to introduce me to them if you have contact information. It is a very quick pointed question. Chuck, I get dozens upon dozens upon dozens of people that, you know, these clients will send me back a list and say, hey, as a, I've had one recently that said, as a matter of fact, I'm on the national committee to select the speaker for blank. And I'm like, bingo. So again, it's a word of mouth thing. And that's the best representation that I have found. So is there anything about that? You send the email and you specifically ask that quick question. And that's what is helping to drive additional engagements. Exactly. And, and of course, there's pieces of that puzzle that all connect. So once we get, you know, these, we'll call them referrals or great leads from whoever this client was, there's a system to follow up with those too. It's not just an arbitrary, hey, gee, let's send them a one sheet or let's send them something with a cover letter. There is a process to engage, to engage that client, prospective client, and get into a conversation with them, which is sometimes more supporting word of mouth because there's a lot of testimonial pieces. And, and those testimonial pieces act as just one more way. Testimonial videos is something that we do. We, after an event, I will take um, my iPad and I'll say, can I get 60 seconds? I'll shoot a video and, and, and I'll have them standing there saying, I am so-and-so and I am with such-and-such and Steve Gillen just spoke and wow, the standing ovation he got. I had one yesterday say, there are good speakers and then there are great speakers and then there is Steve Gilliland. He's got his own different level. Here's what I said, I said, do me a favor before you leave, can you put that on video for me? Those are support pieces that go into that process once we get those referrals. Something else that we do is I actually still send a physical letter. I send a physical letter and in that letter, I start out in that first sentence of the letter. Well, let's say you're the person, Chuck, you had hired me, the program's over, you got your quick question in email, but then they're gonna get a letter. Inside that letter, it's going to say, Dear Chuck, um, after Susie Smith heard me at the International Light Bulb Convention in July of 2017, she recommended me to you. I would never have been in Greenville, South Carolina to speak at your event without her recommendation. And then in its own paragraph, in its own sentence, I say, please pay it forward. And then I put 100% of my 
engagements come as a result of referrals. I also give a $500 Amazon gift card if the referral books me. It appears to me, if I remember this correctly, at least part of the story, that you had offered for a group in Texas, you offered to speak for free, and it turned into a tremendous following and a lot of business. I'm curious, what, what's, what's the backstory behind that and what really happened? Well, what happened was, I, you know, we, ironically, we just talked about showcases. And, you know, you could go to a couple of speaker showcases, and a lot of speakers out there listening to this have done showcases. Sure. Well, I wanted to create my own showcase, not in the sense that what you just heard me say is, I want to create my own showcase. I didn't want to have an event where there was other speakers and me. Right, no other but competition. But I thought I would go, right, I would go someplace that hired speakers, and I would offer it up for free. The only difference would be that I would leverage the fact that I'm going to do it for free because remember, I have to start a conversation. I have to get them talking about me. There has to be word of mouth. I have 60 minutes to make that impression, or I have two and a half days. The way I had two and a half days was I said, I will come. Now, I knew I wasn't going to get a keynote position, and, and, you know, and it was for a Texas association. I said, I know I'm not going to get a keynote position, but you've seen my video. You know who I am, um, and even if you don't, I will rock this place. Give me a couple of breakout sessions. They gave me two breakout sessions contingent on the fact I would be allowed to put up a 10 by 10 trade show booth on their exhibit floor. Now, all the marketing then, once those people got in that room, was positioned to get them down to my booth. Why? Word of mouth, conversation, come, get to meet me, get to know the speaker. And guess what? I also happen to have my wife and my one son there connect, relate, family. And, and if I didn't connect with them on stage, my wife and son connected with them in that booth. I did that with that group. I have done that with other associations where I have said, you know, I will go in. It's my showcase. I'm up there to get people that possibly hire speakers to see me speak and then come engage in a conversation. Is there an investment? Well, I had one association that said, we will allow you to speak for free. However, if you want to be a part of our trade show, you'll have to talk to our director of exhibits. When I got the price of what it would cost, I went, oh my. But then I said, but what if I don't? And, and, and the rest is history. I went, we purchased the booth space, I spoke, and I think, and, and it's a very accurate statement, I got six bookings as a result of speaking at this national association as a breakout speaker, but having a trade show booth. Marketing is, it's very expansive. You know, I tell people sales, you gotta have people that are selling you, you gotta have people that are, but it's what you're marketing and who you're marketing to. Steve, you started off talking about word of mouth, and to some people, word of mouth may be simple. Uh, to you, it's a system. Because I, I just heard you say, and I really wanna emphasize this for the people that are listening or perhaps watching VOE, is, well, word of mouth may be, I'm so confident in my abilities, I will speak for free to ex in exchange for the trade show booth, so I have the opportunity to talk with people creating the word of mouth, which gives me the chance that someone will actually book me for a fee. And that is a unique approach and goes back to what I know about you, which is a systems-driven approach to how you market yourself. 
with the skill that you've brought to the table with your speeches and being relevant. So I really appreciate you taking the time to be here on VOE. Oh, it's, it's always an honor to be with you. I have a great time, uh, and I just hope it helps. I mean, I've been doing this now for 20 years, and, and my, my heart says, hey, there's a lot of engagements every day that need a lot of speakers, and what we need to offer them is the best we can be. You know, the old saying, you know, on a scale of zero to 10, where do you see yourself as a speaker? You got to get to the point where you're saying, I'm a 10, I'm a 10. Because they don't want a seven, they want a 10. So we just have to keep getting better and better at what we do. Because there's so many opportunities for us to impact so many people. Well, Steve, I will say this to you. Um, thank you for what you do for NSA. Because I know that not only have you spoken several times to the Carolinas chapter, but you've also spoken with other chapters and there has never been one yet that you have presented to that hasn't walked away and said, oh my goodness, a wealth of information. If I were to implement 10% of what this man said, my business would grow. And when you and I first connected a number of years ago, you basically said to me, okay, here's what I do. Now, Chuck, most of the people that I talk to never implement it. So implement it, and it will change your business. And Steve, it has, and for that, I am deeply appreciative. Thank you. Thank you, my friend. And I'm glad it has. And now another segment of Ideas from Influence featuring my co-host, Meredith Oliver. Hi, Meredith Oliver here with another Idea from Influence segment. Linda, tell us your big idea you've gotten from Influence so far. Wow, we have got to make this more of a performance. And those of us who speak on content, you know, it's being present with your audience and having a conversation, but also maybe we need to speak it out loud a little bit more and maybe do it for a few more people. So practice like you would for a performance. It's not gonna hurt your content. It'll only make you better. The ports were great. Thank you, and that's, tell us who you are, of course, that's Linda. Linda Swindling, and author of Ask Outrageously. And I asked her, and she agreed to do it. Thank you, Linda. Thanks so much, Meredith. I appreciate it so much. How would you like to be recognized, not only for your skill on the platform, but recognized as a major influencer that gets paid for what you know and your influence? Pagin is my guest, and this is one of those interviews that I've listened to over and over as Pagin's insights offer incredible tips that can advance your career in ways that could take you to another level. And now, here's Pagin. Pagin. It's good enough for Oprah, good enough for Cher. Good enough for Madonna and Beyonce. It's good enough for me. So this is Chuck Gallagher, and that's Pagin. That's it. I like that. So, Absolutely. Yeah, the first name rocks it. Okay, so Pagin, help me understand a little bit the role that you are playing now with the corporate world. I know you've been active in the military world, but mm -hmm. the corporate world when it comes to influence. So now what I do is I work with senior executives. I go in and we might, they might fly in 60 senior executives from around the world to work with me on influence, impact, and how to inspire others. And we do this through training and programming, 
but also we bring in professional role players who act as the executives that they might encounter at a higher level. So C-suite, board of directors, these are the people that are participating are people who need to know how to be savvy. We did this, we did this with the military, so I trained 20,000 officers on cultural negotiation on influence and impact. We had 50 role players. Now I've transferred that into corporate and to coaching. And it's all about understanding that in today's world, right now, at the, at the senior leader position, at the speaker level, that we are all about influence. We're, this conference is named perfectly, but sometimes we don't know how to use our influence to leverage more opportunities and to be seen by the world as powerful, influential, and impactful. As a speaker, now, mm -hmm. it all, when I say that, it almost sounds like I'm putting it in quotes and making it insignificant. But as someone who has the capacity and the power to deliver a message with impact, mm -hmm. the thing that strikes me is, um, in some cases, we are not seen as the celebrity or the influencer. We are a, a commodity that's hired to check a box right. for an organization that's having a meeting that you naturally are going to have an opening or closing keynote for. Right, right. Or breakout sessions. Exactly. So they're looking at you as, okay, so you speak on this or you speak on that and you're brought in. The difference that's happening now is some at the large, at the bigger fee level, as well as in some of the most prestigious organizations, is we, our competition, are influencers from corporate. Okay. Influencers from other organizations. They're not getting paid as speakers. They're getting paid very well. But they're also being trained very well how to be extraordinary speakers. So in order for us to be seen as we are the expert, we are the person, we have to have influence. We have to be, have the power of being quoted the power of people following us who they themselves are influences. And we have to really work at that to get ourselves out of just being, and I don't, and I, I mean, I love being a speaker, but I get paid more for being an influencer. So if I'm sitting back and my topic area is ethics, I hope people who are listening to VOE think, oh my God, we're we gonna hear this guy again. But if I wanna be an influencer in that arena. Right. What are specific things that you would tell me, Chuck, you need to do these three things to really move yourself into that realm? So perfect. And you have a great story. You have a great background on ethics. Here are some of the things that I would say to someone that was speaking on ethics. I would actually reach out to some of the task force, governmental task force, that are looking at ethics and say, this is my expertise. I'm willing to be on that, that task force. Let me calling your local politician, calling your congressman, and congressman saying, I am an expert on ethics, how can I help you? Right. And just because most people just don't do that. And yet there are all these meetings. Now it takes some time, but you are sitting at the table with some of the biggest, well-known, recognized industry experts that your colleagues are not. And when you say in your bio, that you've been part of the task force on ethics development for the congressional services. Do you think that your credibility has gone up or gone down? Right, it's absolutely gone up. Right, 
the influence then starts happening, and then you start, when you're in those meetings, you're saying, so what's your Twitter? What's your, now they start perceiving you, your task force members of, wow, you've written a book. Wow, I could follow you on Twitter. Wow, and the, their young assistants will start following you. That is credibility and influence on fire. That's fascinating, and I'm, for those people who are listening on VOE, you can't see what you can ultimately see when you go to the NSA YouTube website to see the entire interview with Pegeen, but I'm kind of grinning through this process because I remember as a young CPA, before I screwed up that uh, part of my life, that uh, I contacted my local senator and said I wanted to testify on a particular provision of tax law. Mm -hmm. And they selected me, which was bizarre. But then I could leverage that to say, but I testified before Congress on X, which completely changed the game. Absolutely. And you just said something so important. because so this is to all of our senior speakers, the ones that have been around there for a while, the ones that have, we've gone squishy a little bit, right? Things are going good. <laughs> Sometimes the things that we did when we were younger, like calling to ask to be on a task force, calling to be interviewed, those things that really got us going we stopped doing. That's absolutely true. And I'm saying we are now, those senior speakers are now the matriarchs of the business. Now you're the elder of the business. You're wise. You're needed. Your wisdom is, is needed. And we're not asking to be on the committees. We just, well, they're not going to call me. And I'm telling you, hey, you pay your taxes. Call them up and say, put me on a committee. So if you're taking your brilliance, your mind, and what you think, what do you believe is the most effective ways to get that message out for people to see? Oh, okay. Great. Great. Thank you. So one, one is to interview people. Okay. I think that the art of, you know, I have a little TV video interview. I, uh, a Zoom interview that we cut and splice and put on. But I interview interesting people who are in this realm who say, oh, so-and-so has been on her show. Have you been on her show? Now, in the speaking world, we just know it's our each other, right? On each other's show. Sure. But in the decision-maker world, you must know people to get them on the show. So first is interview people. Okay, perfect. Really, really strong. The second thing is to be vulnerably brilliant in writing your message. What that means is don't package yourself so pretty. Tell your truth in a Facebook post, tell your truth on a Twitter, tell your truth on a, on a blog. Really ex expose your brilliance, your knowledge in a way that's very um, relatable. The more you can use a story of your experience of leadership or in ethics, the more you can use, not talk about somebody else's experience, but talk about yours, you become relatable and people start sharing that story. It's amazing. I've made this amazing, this, this past year, the more real I am about sharing my stories or my flaws or my successes, not talking about somebody else's, the more people have been passing along. Okay, perfect. I mean, that, that's been really amazing. The third thing is to be a student and go to conferences where people who are up and comers are showing up. So I'll give you, can I give you an example? Please. So I started attending last year something called Social Media Day. 
It happens every year all across the country in cities. And most of the people in that room are under the age of about 35. Okay. They are professional social media experts. Okay. They run it for companies. They run it for, oh, got all kinds of places. And their speakers are the social media managers of some of the biggest conferences in the world. Right. Right? And they're calling social media. Well, what do social media people need more than anything else to fill their day? Content. Content. Yes. Content. content. What do we have? Content. So I go, I'm usually the only speaker ever at these events. Fascinating. Like a professional speaker. Right. Um, and I get to pass my card. I take my books and stuff. So now I'm being interviewed by them. I got my Clorox spokesperson there. Like, oh, we've been looking for somebody just like you. Well, here I am. Oh, uh, we've gotten... This is the power of social media. They're looking for people like us. They're looking for what context. And so when you're looking at people saying, who can I speak to? So if you're a healthcare person, there are tons of social media managers from hospitals, right? If you're an ethics person, well, there are people from law groups and, and insurance groups and sure. anything there, but they're, they would never show up at other kind of conferences. Right. They are social media geeks. So you're, you, I think it's fascinating. So you're going to the social media geek conference yeah. and positioning yourself as a content provider for something you know they have to have right. and will lap up like a hungry dog. Absolutely. Fascinating. Absolutely. So can I give you a short story? Oh, absolutely. So I went to this conference. Now, I don't know the gurus of these, this industry, you know, social media industry. Sure. I really don't. I had no idea. And I went and I attended this course to learn. It was about Facebook ads. And I'm sitting there to learn about this. And this guy, his name is Dennis Yu, Y-U. He used to be the head uh, Yahoo social technology developer. Okay major stock owner of Yahoo. Okay. He was a presenter. And he's teaching this stuff and he said, can, can I get some people up here willing to tell a story? I'll do that. So other people get up, non-speakers, right? And they're sharing the story. And of course, we as speakers looking at them saying, okay, could have done this, could have done that, you know? Right. And he's there and I get up and tell my story. And Dennis goes, that's a really good story. He took that video and put it on his Dennis page, of which he has 15 million people following him. Oh my goodness. And said, this is what, this is what a great story looks like. This is going, now I'm getting people following me. Now, and we become social media friends. Friends, yeah, okay. Right? Like we're not, maybe if I bump into me, maybe have a drink, but I don't know. Yeah, what whatever, me, you right? know. But because of his influence, then people are following me. Right. Because, oh, if you know Dennis, and Dennis has raved about you, you must be a somebody. Right. An influencer. And an influencer. Yes. Which is, when we're talking learn term, and we're talking to our senior speakers, you got to remember that there's a machine. Like mm -hmm. I heard you talking to David Arvin, right? Right. And it's a machine that's moving on. We've got to keep on moving on. We have this going, here's what's the most wonderful thing about our business. Do you want to know one of the most wonderful things about our business? You know, if I don't say yes, you will explode. So no, yes. <laughs> We're the only business that we could speak until the day we die. That's true. 
I mean, really, like we could we could be speaking to assisted living homes when we're rolling in and talking and get paid for it. By the way, they do pay speakers at assisted living homes. I can see it now. Rolling, rolling, rolling. rolling. <laughs> so we're the uh, so so it's important for us to keep that wheel and not get jaded. Right. Not get old. What I mean by old, thinking like, uh, you know, I'm done. Right. It's, I'm tired of this stuff. It's about going out and getting, I still have a mission, and our mission as a senior speaker, as a senior leader, as a senior piece, is to be able to share our wisdom. And share it so that people can hear it in a way that gives us credibility and gives them the information. We're the only ones that have fallen into the hole so many times and messed up so many times that we could tell the truth. We still survived. We'll survive. You go, girl. I'm telling you. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. And I'm sitting here thinking, man, I am so happy we have captured this audio and video because I can now go back since I will have, you know, a senior moment and forget some of these things and remember to do what you said because to become an influencer is sometimes just a matter of making the choice to do that and you've reminded us of that thank you so much oh i am so happy to be here with you I, it's always joyous when i'm with you and joyous with of course all our brothers and sisters right but thank you my pleasure i really appreciate it My interview with Jun Han is two parts, and if you're not familiar with who Jun Han is, he is a person you need to get to know. The first segment featured for November deals with podcasting, and this is a segment you won't want to miss. You might be surprised at his recommendation, but I promise that you will get some ideas that could immediately help you grow your business. So let's listen now or watch if you're viewing on NSA's YouTube channel. Part one with June Han. June Han is my guest, yep. and your website is awesomeguest.com. Yep. But June, you've you know a lot about podcasting. Probably a little too much, yes. Probably a little too <laughs> yeah, much. Right, so right. give me a little background about you and podcasting first. Yeah, so I'll say, you know, about six years ago, if you think about the state of podcasting, there was probably only about twenty thousand podcasts in the world about six years ago. And so we knew it would become an emerging media. And so we did a, uh, a weekly show for exactly one year, committed to do it in the most scientific way possible. We didn't do any marketing for it. We didn't promote it. But we put together a show that was audio and video. And we just wanted to see um, kind of how the market responds to something like that, topic-wise and production side and things like that. And, um, you know, it's a standalone show. We weren't trying to grow a brand. It was just purely, like, almost arm's distance away. We wanted to just put a show out and see what happens. And uh, Just see what happened organically. Yeah, organically, because when, you know, when you do a science experiment, you're like, okay, let's make three different kinds of segments. Let's try audio and video. It's like we checked all these little scientific boxes to just run a proper experiment. Sure. Um, there was no business goal at the time. And again, about six years ago, there was probably about, I want to say, like 45 million English language blogs. But there's only 20,000 podcasts in the world. Now, you, you fast forward to today, there's probably close to about maybe 300,000, 400,000 uh, podcasts. Wow. You know, but, and there's still that many blogs, but the podcasts are, are coming up. And it's obviously sure. a different medium. And, you know, for speakers, it kind of makes sense to 
put yourself in that kind of new media. So let me ask this question because one of the things that strikes me, and I've been around a while, yeah. uh, as you can tell by the you know <laughs> Brillo pad yeah, here. Yeah. Um, but a lot of speakers yeah. will find something that's new, and it's like, oh my gosh, I need to have a podcast. That shiny new object kind of thing. Yeah. Right? yeah. So what do we need to know? Yeah. And so I'll say, you know, what's great about speakers is the entrepreneur spirit. You have the proper environmental scanning, you know. But there's you need to look at the opportunity and go like, well. How long is it going to take me to ramp up infrastructure, take advantage of that? Am I too late? Am I too early? All that kind of stuff. And I would say with podcasting, the danger is that, the, the lure, if you will, is it's so easy. You just flip on a recorder and talk about stuff. And I will tell you, it's not hard to put out a really bad podcast. And you, know, and you can just churn them out and feel like you're doing something because you're talking. Right. And I think for speakers, it feels like you accomplished something. Right. You put your thoughts out there. But you know, if like your episode didn't have a narrative arc or it's not produced properly or the sound quality is not great, which you find a lot with Kind of all of our phones are pretty good nowadays, pretty good quality. But I would say nowadays, because there are about you know, close to like a half million podcasts and counting, there are a lot of folks that have really established, um, you know, not audience maybe in the millions, but they have an audience maybe in the tens of thousands or twenties of thousands, and they're dying for guests. Because some of the most, um, I guess one of the secrets in podcasting, some of the most successful podcasts rely on guest experts and guest content instead of saying, my name's June, I'm super smart. Like, if I'm not famous or infamous, why are you gonna listen to just me rambling, you know, for whatever, right? right? exactly. And so I gotta bring, I gotta have a, a specific point of view or a niche and bring in guest experts like yourself, right? And we'll ask you specific questions in your point of view. You could, I could have a photography podcast, but I'll bring on a chef, I'll bring on a professional speaker, I'll bring on a babysitter, but it'll all be in the, the point of view of like photography, right, or something like that. Sure. And the, again, the, the people that are putting out the best consistent content, which is what makes a great podcast, they, they need guests, they have a voracious like, need for guests. And so that's where we would step in. As, as, you know, if, you, if you get showcased as a, as a guest, you already come in as like an expert. And so they're showcasing you to their very loyal audience you know, to say, hey, um, this person's an expert. And I feel like if you look at ROI or time spent, like the learning curve, it's, uh, I, I, it's hard for me to make the case that you should start your own show. You know, it really makes sense. Like, there's, I mean, there are really hundreds of thousands of shows looking for you right now. Newsflash. Jun Han just said there are hundreds of thousands of shows looking for you right now. How do you find the podcast yeah. that say, oh my gosh, we've got this voracious desire, but it's like you got to put the two together. Yeah, and so it is. You're fine. It's kind of the wild, wild west right now. You know, completely okay. unregulated. And, you know, think of anything with drones. Like the FAA doesn't know to the drones right now because you know, sure. it's just a new emerging technology. So I would say in the, in the podcast world, you do have a lot of like traditional PR agencies moving to saying, hey, dude, I can't get you on traditional media, you know, because maybe you're the ubiquitous old white guy. You know, and you're just like, you know, there's not, you know, like. <laughs> So for those of you listening, <laughs> those, I am the you yeah, yeah, right, white right, guy. Right, but that's but, but see, so I, we have a, a friend that you know he was a retired CEO and he fit that mold, not famous or infamous, right, right, um, but very successful and very very good, like voice wise. But he's not going to get in like traditional earned media. Well, his PR agency said, well, instead of charging you thousands to get you on Good Morning America, how much would you pay us to get on these podcasts? And he's like, what the hell is a podcast? You know that all this right, kind of stuff. Sure. And so I think he paid like five hundred bucks a pop to get on these podcasts. But to his credit, he did like three hundred interviews in three years. I mean, that's telling the same story, like it's the first time every right, time, right? Absolutely. Kind of stuff, sure. you know? And he is very folksy, very great. Um, and, you know, the thing is, so the traditional PR agency is pivoting in, the, in that direction. And then there's a lot of shows you can just reach out to directly because they are like a one-man kind of band, you know? And in a lot of it, I think the biggest mistake we see with um, 
people wanting to be guest experts is they're, like for instance, I'm a sales guru. They're just looking up sales shows, right? Instead of right. saying, well, who's my target market? And then I'll be a sales expert on the show for photographers, for instance, or food trucks, or like, you know, um, meeting professionals, or, you know, uh, university, uh, whatever. You know, like, so, or like, you know, young college transition and whatnot. You sure. look at your target market and just show up on every show within that market. Because again, that guest, that host is looking for, we don't need another, like, we don't need another expert about young, you know, career transitioning or millennial experts. Oh, we need a salesperson to talk to millennials. Right. Right. Or we need a like, productivity person to talk to millennials. That's different. Because right. you're not a millennial expert. They're the millennial expert. The, the, the host is. Right. <laughs> you know, they're looking for right. people to, to, to like, you know, give some nuance to their show and their content and stuff like that. So. Let, let me ask you a quick question because yeah. I'm curious about this. So you yeah. did your experiment. I mean, right. I'm kind of right. like, oh man, well, yeah. what happened? You yeah. did the experiment. Right. You did 52. You did yep. the podcast. You yep. did the YouTube. What yeah. got the most views, and 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 how did you yeah. find organic growth taking place? Yeah. So again, we you know what we try to do is just kind of put it out there in the wild. See and, what happened. And we didn't tell our friends or family like, hey, promote this. We weren't trying to get like ranked on iTunes right away. We just said, what happens if you just put something out? Like if you're just a schmo. Right. Like me and just put it out there, you feel like you have something to say. And I'll tell you, you know, on the YouTube thing, we found in the B2B space, there's not a lot of videos. I think it's probably different now, but it's, I still don't think it's that. YouTube is mostly a, like a B2C, like people are looking for entertainment kind of news and whatnot. Right. And so we got a lot of traction on YouTube just because we were the only like, um, you know, for instance, uh, I, I have a podcast coming out later this year strictly on like what I'm learning about Costco for, as a business and whatnot. And just as a, uh, an experiment, we did an episode on Costco. So if you go to like yourbizrocks.com or you go to find it on YouTube, that one video itself has like almost 8,000 views. And again, non-promoted, not anything. And then the average viewership of the, all the other episodes is about 700. So what we found was interesting is like if you just put it out there with some good keywords and whatnot, every episode naturally got to about 200, 300 views just doing nothing. Can you imagine if you actually tried to like Tell your friends and family. I mean, I have more than 300 friends and family. You know, I don't know, right. friends or whatever. Sure. <laughs> you know, but it was so interesting that something just naturally would pick that up. And that's why I'm saying, like, if, if you show up as a guest on a podcast, even if that podcast is not, like, the super famous person, a decent podcast will pick up a 1,000 downloads a month. Just, just being fairly decent. Right. right? So you're, now you're in evergreen marketing content a 1,000 times a month. And if it's in your target market, that's not bad. Right. <laughs> right? You know, because right. the, the thing about podcasting and psychologically, they say the, some of the power behind it is very rarely do you hear someone's voice that loudly in stereo other than your own voice. So there's a real captivating thing there because, you know, everything else in life you're just hearing from one side or the other. Right. Or if like TV or like, you know, your friend, but it, it's not close. Right. right. And so they'll say psychologically, it's the, it's the only form of intimacy that can scale huh. because everyone's listening to you privately or stairs or you know if they're in the car or whatnot but sure. most people are listening to it uh, privately because they're working out or they're doing chores or, or things like that and so it's it's really an interesting way to get really near and dear to people in a way that they're choosing you know it's, it's like if you look at email open rates and stuff like that they're a hundred percent opening their emails to you they're they're opening and they're click through because they're choosing to, to listen to you it's, sure. it's, it's really um I and mean, that's why we believe it's a phenomenal marketing thing but maybe not necessarily do your own show you said, as I understand, mm -hmm. that there are certain budgets within yeah. companies that often we as speakers don't think about oh, or tap. Yes. Talk to us about that. Right. Oh my, we've run out of time. Gosh, I hate to stop here. 
And just when June was sharing with us how we tap into budgets for our services that most of us have never thought of or tapped into. <laughs> okay, you will not want to miss the second portion of my interview with June Han. Perhaps that will be your holiday gift, a gift that just keeps on giving in 2019. Tune in next month for June Han, Part 2. And now it's time for Money Matters, here with Joel Block on Voices of Experience. How do I draw a line to the money? I always talk about drawing a line to the money. The fastest way for you to figure out how much money you should make and how to charge your fees and how to make a fair arrangement with your client is by drawing a line to the money. And what exactly does that mean? That means if you help a client to make a certain number of dollars, in my business, it's reasonable to charge that client a small percentage, or sometimes a bigger percentage, of the amount of money that got made. So if you help a client save money or make money, it's reasonable that you should get some percentage of that deal. That's called drawing a line to the money. Help the client understand exactly what the benefit is, either in dollars or in something else that's relevant to you and the client. If you're in business, it's always money. If you're not in business, then it's a little bit uh, different. You're going to have to work a little harder to figure that out. Some people will say, well, gee, Joel, you're in the money business. Very easy to figure that out. But if you're in even resources, it's very easy to figure out how much a problem costs with people uh, because if you frame it backwards, in other words, it's not how are people going to do if they do great, but what happens if something bad happens? It's always easier to figure out what happens if something goes wrong. So focus on the money, focus on telling people how much it, the problem's going to cost or the benefit's going to be worth. Take a little percentage of that as your compensation, not necessarily as a success fee, but as a guide, and draw a line to the money. A new segment on VOE, Chapter of the Month. With innovative ideas that promote NSA chapter growth, we are excited to feature Mountain West as Chapter of the Month for November VOE. Hi, this is Chuck Gallagher with Voices of Experience, and my guest is Rob Ferrey. I am so happy to have you as a guest. Right. And the last name is just so much fun. I mean, how can you not have fun with Ferrey? Yes, well, hooray rhymes with hooray, so there you yes. go. <laughs> so, hooray, we've got you on here, and you are the president-elect for Mountain West, and I know from my experience with chapter leadership, Mountain West encompasses a lot of territory. Yes, we encompass Utah, Wyoming, Montana, and Idaho, so the inner Mountain West. We even have some satellite members from Reno, Nevada, so... We cover a big region. We're featuring you on Voices of Experience because uh, you all have some interesting concepts that uh, is going to work to expand your chapter. So, Rob, share that. Well, yeah. So, what we've done as a board is we've wanted to give more value to our national members and our candidate members. And so, we have a very robust candidate membership. We have about 40 members in our candidates. 
and then we have wow. about 40 national members. Okay. So our meetings are quite plentiful, but we want to help those candidates become more and also incentivize them to become national members. So what we do with our national members before every meeting, we do an hour and a half mastermind. And our president right now, Michelle McCullough, has also shifted our mastermind to start doing goals and start completing those goals and have accountability. But we're not doing that with our candidates. And so our candidates are saying, well, why can't I go to the mastermind? So what we're giving them is the opportunity to have their own mastermind. So one of our board members, Travis Brady, he's actually a coach for coaches. Okay. And he trains trainers. And we said, Travis, would it be advantageous for you to actually do a mastermind for our candidate members? And he took, up, took that on. And the great thing is now our candidate mas candidates have a their own mastermind, which is amazing for them. They now have accountability partners. They're also able to work on their speeches in front of each other in the mastermind group. And so that was one of the things we were reading in our surveys. Candidates or people who are guests are saying, hey, I want to start working on my speech or I want to give, have an opportunity to do this in front of other people. We do have the academy, but that is only six months out of the year. So the other six months, what are we going to do? This mastermind. And so we're giving that value to our candidates. You know, Rob, that's, uh, that is great information. And uh, for purposes of Voices of Experience, really valuable because I know that in a lot of cases, the chapter is always looking at what can you do for professional members, and you have the professional mastermind, but all of us at some point joined a chapter, and we were the new people, and in some cases, we're working on that first speech, so to be able to, to have a mastermind group uh, where you can work on those things in a comfortable setting, I think really is incredible. And, and thank you and Mountain West for the leadership of doing that and seeing that opportunity. Now, here's one other thing that we've done to level up our masterminds. We yeah. are now contacting people who are coming into our market, national members. So Jay Bear was doing a speech here in Salt Lake City, Utah. We had one night with him and we said, before you speak tomorrow, would you mind doing a mastermind only for our national members, and he was delighted to do it. So we had about 20 of our members come to this mastermind with Jay Bear, and how cool is that? And now some of our candidate members saw that that was happening, and they said, why wasn't I invited? We said, well, this is only for our national members. We want to get you to that level so you can start coming to these masterminds. But here's another thing. We are also doing a lab with Kelly Swanson, who's coming to speak here in Utah. So we're also, uh, what would be the way to say it? We're tailgating off of that and we're using her that morning before she does her speech that night. So if you have that connection with those people within the national community, reach out to them and ask them, can you do a mastermind for our chapter? And so, and Kelly has been great. Jay Bear has been great. And people will be willing to do that. You know, Rob, that's a, a brilliant idea. And again, for Voices of Experience, something that I think people will want to pay attention to, especially in the chapters, because most all of the chapters are within reason geographically connected to cities where there are yeah. certainly Salt Lake City would be. So you know when you have people coming in, most of the time they're coming in the night before, have nothing that they have to do before the speech yep. the next day, which is either morning or afternoon. So to be able to uh, use that experience and offer additional value to professional members makes all the sense in the world. Yeah. 
And what I'm asking our national members to do is leverage their influence. When you come into a city where there is a chapter, be proactive, reach out to people. We've been reaching out to people because we know they're coming to our, to our city. But if you want to leverage your influence, reach out to the chapter and say, hey, I'm going to be in town. Uh, I'd love to do a mastermind. Or if it's just simply dinner with some of your chapter members, let's make that happen. And I'm also proactive. I'm looking at who's coming into town and they say, hey, can I host you? Can I pick your brain? Can I pick you up from the airport? And this is a great opportunity to increase your network and to start learning from those who are doing it well. Uh, it's almost sad, and I have to be the first to admit, never really crossed my mind if I'm going into a city to reach out to the chapter and say, hey, I'm coming into town. Is there something that we can do? Because in my head, I think, well, the chapter meets at a certain time, and if I'm not there at that point, you know, I'm, 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 I can't help them with the chapter meeting. But it isn't always about just the meeting. It's about some of the impromptu meetings that can take place following that. But Rob, right. <laughs> thank you so much for uh, your leadership and your upcoming presidency in Mountain West and for the great ideas that you've shared with us here on Voices of Experience. And because of this, that makes Mountain West our chapter of the month. And we appreciate it ever so much. Thank you, Rob. Well, I share this uh, imaginary award with all my board members and especially Michelle McCullough, who is leading our chapter to great things. Thank you so much, Michelle. And thank you, NSA. In this... The month that in the United States we celebrate Thanksgiving, I thought it would be appropriate to interview Al Walker, a CSP and member of the Speaker Hall of Fame. And I want you to check out Al's marketing approach to associations. It's, it's simple yet highly effective. In addition, a part of this interview reflects Al's work as the chairman of the NSA Foundation. The NSA Foundation is the philanthropic arm of the National Speakers Association and serves to help those members and families of our NSA communities, as well as those in need in our larger global community. It's devoted to upholding the spirit of serving, sharing, and supporting embodied by our founder, Cavett Robert, CSP, CPAE. The foundation is able to act on behalf of our members to do something that comes naturally in the speaking profession helping others. And now here's Al Walker. Hi, this is Chuck Gallagher with Voices of Experience, and my guest today is Al Walker. And, and I have to say, Al, I'm thrilled to have you yeah. with us. I'm thrilled to be um, here. CSP, CPAE Hall of Fame, and the chair of the Board of Trustees for the Foundation, mm -hmm. uh, past president of NSA. Mm -hmm. And when I got to the Carolinas chapter, it was like, oh my gosh, I'm in the Carolinas chapter with so many folks who have wonderful careers yep. and, and are continuing with NSA. But Al, I'd love to talk with you about the perspective of going from the beginning of your career to the Hall of Fame. Because there's a lot of things that you've done, but over time you've weathered all of the experiences that speakers have to deal with that have, that's carried you from, from start to Hall of Fame. Take us on that journey. Well, this is going to take a couple of days. <laughs> okay, we don't have a couple of days. <laughs> uh, and I don't know how to do the Reader Digest condensed version of that very well, other than the fact that, like so many people, when I was in college, 
I didn't have a clue what I wanted to do. I just knew that I needed to get a degree and got a job. And the second guy I worked for insisted I take a Dale Carnegie course in 1972. Wow. And uh, I, about halfway through, the instructor told me that he said, I want at the break, he said, I want you to stay around and let's talk after class. And in my entire academic career, anytime a teacher said, I want to talk to you after class, it was not a good thing. So I sat there the rest of that class going, you know, what did I, I do? Where did I mess up? What, you know, what's, what, what's this about? But anyway, we, we got through and we met. And he said, I've been teaching this class about 15 years, that I've never seen anybody with your kind of talent. I said, you got to do something with this. And Well, that's awesome. I know. So I still had, speaking had entered my mind, but I became a Dale Carnegie instructor and then went to work with Carnegie in the early 70s and worked with them until 79 when I left and had a, uh, two-year non-compete law, so I abided by that and was director of sales for a general contracting firm, and with the understanding in two years, I'd gone, and it worked out very well. Right after I had done that, I still had permission from the to do some speaking, so I started doing a little bit, and I remember the first person ever called me was a contractor out of Atlanta who said, we're having a, and I had done a lot of training with their people, he said, we're having a gathering at, uh, down here in, in, in near Atlanta, and want you to come help us give some awards and just have some fun and play golf with us that weekend. And I said, well, we're going to do some training and stuff. He said, no, you trained everybody. We just want to have some fun. And want you to tell some of those crazy stories. So I did that and he paid me for doing it. And I thought, well, this is a lot easier than putting workbooks together and doing all this training <laughs> stuff. So, um, and then I had a mentor of mine, uh, Robert Numa James, Bob James, who lived in Glastonbury, Connecticut. And, one of those people that I trusted so much that if he'd said, go sit up on the roof and eat a jar of peanut butter and you'll be, a, be more successful, I'd have been up to eating peanut butter. And, but he said, uh, I just came back from a meeting. This is right after I started in October of 81 when I did start my own business. He had said, I just came back, and this was about January, came back from a meeting in New Orleans with a bunch of people just like you. He did not ever go back to NSA. I had never heard of NSA. And he said, but you need to join. I called up and joined. Like I said, whatever he told me to do, I did. And I got gotcha. you. Did not go to a meeting, didn't think I needed to, because I was building my training business, still not doing much speaking at all. And then and went to my first meeting in January of 83, which was a winter workshop in Nashville. And it, the rest is history. I've missed one meeting. That's because a tree fell on my house about two days before the convention in New Orleans about 12, 15 years ago, however long ago that was. but. Uh, I've been at most of them since then, and I, have, I am truly a student of, of NSA and a product of NSA. Uh, everything I do in my business have ever done, I learned here. And I don't know, I can't imagine somebody being serious about our business and not being a part of, of right. NSA. I just talked to a young guy this week who's wanting to get into speaking. He's done a few freebies for schools and other things around our neck of the woods in South Carolina. and. I told him, I said, the only thing I can tell you to do is join an SA. I can give you a little help, but you need to find out what's going on in 2018, not what a guy my age did 20 years ago, so I'm not sure that's working quite as well now as it did then. But I just, it evolved, and I, I came to NSA, found it, I could make a living speaking, and I had a little cassette tape and a little, little brochure, and went to around Columbia, because that's where all the, uh, I learned all the associations camp out in state capitals, um, not so they can be convenient for us to get to, but so they can lobby their legislators. And it, it worked well enough. I booked a couple of things. I went to Raleigh and stayed a week at a hotel up there in 
near Crabtree Mall, called on every association exec, got a couple of bookings out of that, spoke to the North Carolina Association of Society of Association Execs, got some more out of that, and went to Atlanta, did the same thing there, went to Tallahassee, did the same thing there, and kept picking up clients and bookings, and got busy enough after Tallahassee that uh, I just, I never went to another state capital, but my goal was to go to every one of them. So I tell people if push ever comes to shove, I still got about 46 state capital to get to. Okay, <laughs> so now, there's something that you said that, that really strikes me. I did not know this about you, but what I just heard you say was that in order to build your business, you built it in large part by visiting state capital associations that are headquartered at state capitals yeah. and pitching yourself. Yeah. So not only were you training other people in the fine art of selling, but you oh, were applying mm -hmm. the fine art of selling yeah. to yourself sure. and just looking at what would appear to be the low-hanging fruit, yeah. which created a business model that has served you for decades oh. at this point. Well, I learned somehow early on that all, or at least most of the successful professionals uh, in other businesses, other industries, and successful businesses were members of their state national associations. So if I could go speak to the associations, get them to pay me for being there, in essence, they were paying me to market to their members. Right. And so I never saw a speech as an end-all, be-all. The speech was not the goal. The speech was just a stepping stone to all those other organizations that were a part of that association. and. I spoke to the North Carolina Convenience Store Association. The guy that uh, was the editor for the Convenience Store Magazine nationally was there, wrote an article on me. I got a call a few weeks after it came out from England, and the uh, guy said, uh, just read an article on you in Convenience Store Magazine. He said, I'm running the eight to late stores. They couldn't, they were all, it was a co-op. They couldn't for, tell people when they had to open and when they had to close, but he used the 7-Eleven model. So they all opened by eight and they closed late. So I'm call, they call them all eight to late stores. And <laughs> he said, he said, we're coming to, uh, to Disneyland and want you to come out and speak to us. I said, well, you're in England. I'm in South Carolina. There's one a little closer called Disney World we could all go to. He said, I know we went there last year. <laughs> so I went to Anaheim from South Carolina to speak to uh, eight to late stores uh, because of that speaking to a North Carolina Society of Association. I mean, now, execs, which got me to the Convenience Store Association, which got me to that international course. When he called, I was anticipating going to England and starting my international. It was a few years later before I got to speak internationally, though. So You are the head of the NSA Foundation. Yep. And the NSA Foundation does a lot of really good work. Yeah. And this past year, uh, there were some um, major events that took place, disasters, disasters mm -hmm. that really impacted a lot of people. Mm -hmm. and And I'd love for you to 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 share with to share with the audience the impact that NSA members and their contributions made toward helping people who really found themselves not because of choice in a real circumstance sure. of need. Sure. The NSA Foundation was started because of one person being in need back in the late 70s. A guy named Frank Betcher who wrote a book, How I Raised Myself from Failure to Success in Selling. He was a big bestseller. And he was very successful, but he was up in his 90s. He'd sold insurance earlier and had a ton of insurance, but they had outlived their assets. He, his wife called a speaker friend. He was not in NSA, but called a speaker friend in Atlanta and asked for some help, and he called a bunch of other CPAEs at the time, 
and they all set a goal to raise $100,000, and they did. Every CPA contributed to that fund except for one, and I, I never knew who that was, so we can't out them. Anyway, the, uh, <laughs> but 99.9% uh, .9 contributed, and when she passed away, she had in her will that they would pay that money back. And when they got the checks, they said, let's start a fund. So that's how the fund got started back in, and became a 501c3 in 82 under the leadership of when Nito Quivain was president. And, uh, he's now chairman emeritus of the foundation. And all of that leads us up to this past fall when, when the first hurricane hit, um, hit Houston. And we knew we had some members in need. And we've done this over the years. did it with Katrina and some other events like that where we sent the call out to NSA, to our membership, uh, to, to help. Because our foundation set up in the three or four arms. One is PSBF which was the initial one because of Frank, that initial fund started as a professional speaker benefit fund. And then we have, now we have scholarships we've added. Now we also have the Art Berg Fund, which is a technical grant we give to people. And the fourth one we've added is where we, four years ago, is where we contribute to a local charity in this town where we're having our national annual you know, convention. Um, sure, together. like you Dallas know, is coming here. Yeah, sure. Dallas is coming here, that's right, and influence. And, uh, so the, with PSBF, they have to go through as an application to fill out, as a process, the committee decides what kind of grant to give somebody, what kind of, if they, yeah. could be cancer, could be, we had one lady had a tree fell on her one time riding a bike, paralyzed from the waist down, and uh, they helped her, you know, I was chair of the committee then, and, but this path, but because that takes some time to process those, we needed an immediate help. So we started raising money, and just at our meeting, just this past couple of days that we've had here, in Baltimore, we have set up a contingency fund because we had enough money raised, we were able to help everybody who needed help in Houston and in East Texas, and then in Louisiana, and then another one hit and in Puerto Rico, as we all know, So, and in Florida, there, there were several people who needed help there, and we were able to help all of our members with some immediate you know, help cash-wise, and so a, lot, a lot of them just lost everything. and. Then it was fascinating to me was we raised enough money that, and Jim Pancero led this charge, and uh, Marilyn Sherman was head of she's head of the C CSP. Uh, she got all the CSPs to make phone calls, and what came back were members saying, "I just cannot believe how quickly y'all responded to this," because it was within a matter of days. And Brian Walter, being our president, you know, helped lead that charge as well, and we were all heavily engaged in that as soon as it happened, and on the phone and contacting members and getting checks sent out after we raised money because we actually took some money out of PSBF to initially fund that but then put it back into PSBF once the money was raised so we could immediately do something and ended up with about $38,000 left over and went back to some of the people and said, well, we got a little money left over, need to help every one of them. Told, nope, I'm good. Uh, I, I've got myself taken care of. Now, how many people would you know, would do that. Right. A right. lot of folks would say, oh yeah, okay, I need, you got some more money, I'll take it. You know, how much you got? Sure. <laughs> and, sure. But they didn't. And so we've, we've set up a, uh, we're not calling it a hurricane, which was the main driving force behind this last one. It's just a disaster relief emergency fund, which is a new line item in our, in our foundation that the seed money is at 38000 Well, Alan, I have to say, uh, you know, I've been around a while, now, mm -hmm. a little oh, over yeah. 10 years sure. now. And, and I've seen what's happened, and especially under your leadership at the foundation. So I, as an NSA member, mm -hmm. thank you for the leadership right. and the willingness to be able to connect the dots with people so that they can actually yeah. make contributions. Al, 
thank you yes, for not losing your curiosity. Good. And for therefore the leadership that you continue to provide. This this is an awesome interview here for VOE Good. and I appreciate it ever so much. Ladies and gentlemen, Al Walker. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you. As we end this interview with Al, may I take the editorial privilege to encourage you as NSA members and those in the NSA community to go to the nsaspeaker.org website and make a contribution to the foundation. You never know when your contribution will be the lifeline offered to a member in need. Give generously, for as you give, so shall you receive. Content marketing is hard work. And so much of our content is seen only by a fraction of our audience at any given time. Join me for the next What's Happening segment with the brilliant and digitally savvy Patrick Almond, who will explain how to leverage the content you already have with a simple and inexpensive transcription app. So Patrick, you are the guru of all things digital tech, marketing, yes you are, <laughs> don't be bashful. So you have an app recommendation for us. What right. What I like to tell people is in our world of doing video marketing or podcasts or things like that, that it's a really good idea to reuse your content. Yeah. And one of the ways that I do that is I'll do video work like you're doing here, I'll do audio work and then I'll get that transcribed into text so you can repurpose it into a book or a blog post or something like that. Okay. Uh, and we've seen, I've seen several professional NSA members do that also. Rory Vaden is a big fan of this, as mm -hmm. is Jay Bear. And one of my favorite apps for this is one called Rev at Rev.com. All right, R-E-V. Right, R-E-V. Rev, like Rev the Engine. Exactly. Dot com. Okay, so how does it work? Well, there's an app for Android and there's an app for iOS, so I've got it on every possible device I own. <laughs> and with Rev, you can either record directly into it for a transcription, or you can give it a link to any of your audio video stuff, and the company will import that and then do the transcription based off of that. Oh, very cool. Yes. All right, so let's say I'm at the Alabama Association of Horse Farmer whatever, <laughs> right? That's a place you'd find Meredith, uh, yes. Uh, yes, uh, I fit right in. Well, the horse and, marketing you do. Yes, <laughs> and so let's say I'm there mm -hmm. and uh, I give a talk. Right. So uh, maybe they're not recording it. Right. So I could record it on my iPhone. Correct. And then upload the recording to Rev. And you're saying that Rev would spit out a transcription of that seminar. Correct. In the Rev app, there's a big red record button, and you press that, and it's off and running. And then when you get done with it, you it, you stop the recording, and then the whole ordering process is right there in the phone. Yeah. So as soon as you get done with the recording, it'll say, do you want to transcribe this? And you're like, it's off and running. It has your credit card, and boom, it's gone. It's gone while you're still shaking hands and kissing babies yeah. at the end of the horse seminar right there. <laughs> kissing the horses? Kissing the horses yeah. or kissing the horse babies or whatever <laughs> it is. Okay, this is getting weird. It really is getting weird. <laughs> uh, and the amazing thing about Rev is the transcription's pretty fast. It doesn't take yeah. days to come back. It takes like an hour to come back. Yeah. And so you're wrapping up everything, and by the time you get to your car, you're on your way to the airport, whatever, all of a sudden you have an email with a link to download the docx file or the PDF file or the TXT file. Yeah. So then I would take that file, and if I'm a do-it-yourselfer, mm -hmm. you know, I could use that to, I could start trying to pull that into a blog post. Correct. Or start a chapter of a book. Or if I've got a virtual assistant mm -hmm. and I'm a delegator, right. <laughs> I could shoot the file off to an, 
a writer editor or a virtual assistant and say, hey, mm -hmm. I want you to do what? What could they do with it? They Well, they could do some of the things that you said right there. The first thing I would have someone do is check it through because they transcribe it word for word. Yeah. And I have to admit that, that I don't speak like I write. So yeah. the first thing I have to do is send it off to somebody who's much better at grammar than I am. But they could then uh, do some social media graphics off of it. They could do some pull quotes and pull some great things out of it. They could do the blog post, like you said, which is good for SEO. Yeah. And they and more often than not, what I find out is I can when you talk, you don't realize how much you talk. And I usually have enough content for two yes. or three blog posts. Yes. So five or seven minutes of audio can turn into quite a few hundred words. Yeah. And uh, but the thing I think I like most for it is the fact that I can get that SEO advantage without actually having to peck it out on the keyboard because I'm I'm great at speaking and not that good with my fingers. Right. Well, right. we get paid to talk. Exactly. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so we, that makes sense. So the idea here is is to leverage your content. Yes. And to use it multiple ways. I think you make a great point that mm -hmm. when we're speaking. We're sharing a lot of more ideas than Correct. we probably give ourselves credit for or that we even remember we exactly. said. Yeah, there's even at this conference right here, there's been times where people have walked up to me and said, that, that tip you gave me last year, that was awesome. I've made two grand off of that. I'm like, that's great. What tip was that? Because I want to make money off my own tips. Right? right. I don't even know anymore. It doesn't anymore. Yeah, so you also do make a good point. Having used it myself, mm -hmm. it is not publish ready when right. you get the transcription. This is important. Uh, it definitely needs editing, grammarizing, exactly. proofing would right. be the correct word. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it needs work right. before you can use it if you're using it in a written form. Correct. Uh, but it's all there. Exactly. And I have to admit that sometimes it even comes in handy for things where you don't want to share your content to go public. Let's say for some reason that you're doing a consulting session with the I was at Alabama Association yes, of, of Horse, or, or horse yeah, something. Breeders or Builders or whatever, whatever it is. <laughs> but let's say for some reason you're doing like a long multi-day consulting session with them and in the morning you're, you're going to talk about a particular session for 10 or 15 minutes Ooh. but it would be really good to have those notes for the rest of the time. Yeah. And the reason I use this example is because I just did this yesterday. You can send that off, you guys can go to lunch and then all of a sudden you've got the notes transcribed yes. and you can print those out and use those and I kid you not, uh, I had to use this as part of my main stage session that I did this morning. Yeah. As yesterday when I was working on it, I got really good notes from a colleague, record them on my phone, had it transcribed and had that back within like 20 minutes. And That's I used incredible. those notes to enhance my, my main stage preparation for the winter conference. I'm a big advocate of whenever you do speak professionally, somehow either get it recorded on audio or video so you can reuse that content. If nothing else, you can actually reuse it and give it to the person who paid to have you come in. Because yeah. not only are they going to pay to have you come in, but now they get a cool transcription of yeah. your presentation, a cool uh, a presentation, put their brand on it, and they walk away with a bonus right there. So you're bringing even more value to your client. Transcription is really good for people that are have a tough time sitting down and actually cranking out content and yeah. writing right there. Yeah, Patrick Amin, you are awesome, and I just thank you so much for sharing your time My and pleasure. talent with VOE. That is what's happening. We will talk to you next time. Sometimes you're just not sure where an interview is going to go. My interview with Holly Duckworth took me to a place that was both unexpected for me and Holly. So as we end this VOE program for November, we will end it in a special way. There will be nothing that follows, no announcements. Just reside in the peace and tranquility 
of a thanksgiving blessing. And now, Holly Duckworth. My guest on VOE now is Holly Duckworth. Holly, thank you for being here. You've got all kinds of accolades for your work in mindfulness. So tell us a little bit about mindfulness. I mean, I think, let's, let's put it this way. My wife talks about it. I think I have a cursory understanding of what it is, but my ADHD, I've got to be on the go doing stuff, doesn't allow me to slow down and think about that. So I'm confused. Well, this is the number one thing I get asked all the time. Holly, what is mindfulness? And that is the biggest strength about mindfulness is there's lots of ways to define it, but it's also what's making selling mindfulness a challenge. Uh, mindfulness is the practice of being present in the moment without judgment. And that's the most famous definition by John Kabat-Zinn. So that's what I teach from, the practice of being present in the moment without judgment. So you said something that, of course, my mind now wants to go <laughs> down a rabbit hole with. And you said that's the number one question you get and also what makes it difficult to sell. So let's talk about how you're creating success with an idea that some people don't fully understand or can't equate to profitability. Well, Deepak Chopra is doing something right, so there has to be some profitability in this business. Yes, and I would agree with you that. Know, and that's part of mindfulness, too, is it is done unto you as you believe. So stepping into the truth of whatever your message is, whether it's mindfulness or sports, believing in your story and believing in the product and service you have to offer. So that's really where I start with mindfulness is understanding that there is a lot of skeptics out there in my marketplace and meeting them where they are and taking them where I want them to go. Being open to have that really elementary base level conversation first and then start moving them into the, the mindfulness practices which of course is what my first book does. How do you go about doing that? I think you have to start with your own sense of self and your own clarity. So I definitely practice what I preach every day, you know, visioning, meditations, affirmations, and then using that law of attraction to attract the right clients to you. So I had to get really clear as I started to own this space as the mindful leadership guide that I'm not going to be for everyone and my brand isn't gonna be for everyone, but being willing to serve the people who are curious and ready, that's why I say I meet them where they are and take them where, where they need to go. That, that's how I do it. When you uh, talk about uh, visioning and affirmations, uh, this is kind of a personal question. It's pulling the you know, onion back, the layers of the onion. How do you vision? What is your process, if there's a process, or what is your process of doing affirmations? So we'll, we'll do the visioning one first. Um, visioning is in the book, it's the letter V, and it is actually taking of six questions that I ask my, my inner wisdom voice. What's the highest and best vision for my business? Might be an example for speakers. Or what's the highest and best vision for my next keynote? And then I listen to that intuition voice and I will start writing that down. And it's visioning is a practice. I do it over and over and over again. I refine it. And every talk for me, um, every client interaction starts from that. What's the highest and best that can come through? Even this little VOE experience. I, I take a few minutes to be, to be mindful before coming in and saying, okay, what, what is that spirit message, that mindful message that can come through me to serve this audience? Um, so visioning is five questions, 
five or six questions. What's the highest and best? What does that look like? What does it feel like? What does it sound like? Um, questions like what must I release in order for that vision to come through? Uh, and th those are the types of questions that I start to ask. And then okay. I create a full vision. And then the other one is affirmations, right? Yes. Um, affirmations for me are mantras. It's the, the, the tweet of how I want the day to go. So uh, my, oh, yes, cool. my, my tweet, uh, one of them I use, and I would certainly invite my speaker friends to use it as well, is I'm the perfect person at the perfect time with the right and perfect message. So those moments that I'm walking down to the stage, and you know, we all sometimes get a little little nervous about that. I'm the perfect person at the perfect time with the right and perfect message. And so as I walk to that, that's one affirmation I use. I love that. There's a very um, deep and spiritual component to what you're sharing. Uh, is there a backstory to that? <laughs> of course, there's a backstory to that. Um, I've had the fortune of being in NSA for many years. I'm a past chapter president. Um, I have background in meeting and event planning went on to become an association executive. And about six years ago, I went back and I got an advanced certification as a licensed spiritual practitioner. So I put all these things in the blender and uh, spirituality in business doesn't sell, uh, but mindfulness is sexy. So I've been able to repackage and rebrand all of the levels of my expertise uh, to become a spiritual practitioner. So I can actually do weddings and funerals and bury people and marry people. And then I'm also a licensed prayer practitioner. So um, it's a fortunate privilege sometimes. While I don't use the word prayer on stage, these tools of visioning affirmations, while they're not in a religious context, they can come across as a spiritual context. And that's, the spirit is that energy and that, that love that we all get to bring to the world. And I hope that NSA and all of our members really honor the spirit of who we are. And then we obviously talk about the spirit of Cavett as well. So yes, I, I have a huge backstory on my passion for, for spirituality and mindfulness. Now this puts you on the spot. Uh-oh, I've been on the spot a lot here. So as we close out our VOE interview, can you lead us in an affirmative prayer for the highest and best for all people who are listening on this VOE podcast? Oh, can I? Wow, uh, that is putting me on the spot, but I I'd absolutely be honored, honored to do that. Um, the five steps of prayer are recognize, unify, realize, thanksgiving, and release. So, um, yeah, I'll go ahead and do that go for you. It. So I would just invite all of our, our NSA family listening to the show to just breathe in and breathe out all of the stress of being in this business, all of the doingness that comes with this business. And I will state a word recognizing that there is a good in this world that is working for us. It is as close as the sun, the moon and the stars. It is the friend sitting in the seat next to you. It is your office mate. It might be that contractor that you call. It is in our clients, it is in our blogs, and in all of the partnerships that we have. So from this place, Chuck and I and all of the contributors to VOE come together to remember the good of life. And I recognize this day that the words that we speak and that we write, the meeting professionals we get to touch, the audiences that we educate, we connect and inspire, are inspired by our work and our work goes out in the world to press down and multiply love. So I give thanks for the knowing that this is already true. It is already so, and by the power of my word and the words that we all speak together, we declare it as so by saying, amen, and so it is. And so it is. Thank you. You're welcome. That was awesome. 
and a VOE segment that I will never forget. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.